0: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Ever since Pride events became huge parties, and especially since they began attracting big-money corporate sponsors, there's been a debate about the meaning of Pride. Should it be a party, a celebration of inclusion for LGBTQ2S people around the world, full of joy And love and welcoming to anyone who wants to take part, including police. Or is Pride, at its roots, still a protest? A reminder of the fight for queer rights that began decades ago and is still sadly necessary in so many places around the world. And a reminder that police have not always been on the right side of that. This is especially true in places like Toronto, where both Pride celebrations and the history of the queer community are absolutely massive. And the debate is a fair one, on both sides. Until recently, though, any questions about the money behind Pride Toronto, where it came from, what was promised in return for funding, and whether or not it was delivered, were largely theoretical. That's changed. An investigation has revealed some anomalies about money obtained through grants for Toronto Pride. These anomalies have prompted a review by an independent firm hired by the new guard in charge of the organization, which is promising transparency. So what happened behind the scenes at one of the world's largest Pride celebrations? And what does it mean for the future of the event? As a party or as a protest? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Krishna Rao is a Toronto-based writer and reporter with extensive experience covering queer issues. He looked into the funding behind Pride for Extra. Hey, Krishna. Hello, Jordan. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome. Why don't you start by explaining uh, where this came from? Who is Tom Hooper and what did he set out to do?
1: Well, Tom Hooper is a history professor at York University here in Toronto. He has a special interest in terms of his work in the bathhouse raids that police conducted in Toronto in 1981. Mm -hmm. And so he saw that Canadian Heritage was funding a number of uh, events to commemorate the What would have been the 50th anniversary of the 1969 supposed decriminalization of homosexuality. Uh, So he submitted a Freedom of Information request to Canadian Heritage, found out that among the groups that were receiving funding for these events was Pride Toronto. He saw that as, uh, as he put it, as a betrayal on Pride's part of uh, the Toronto queer community. Why would he see it that way? Well, because in 1969, Pierre Trudeau, they passed legislation supposedly decriminalizing homosexuality. But since then, as I think most people are aware, there has been continued persecution by police of the queer community. Specifically, in 1981, in Toronto, police conducted a series of raids on gay bathhouses in the city, uh, arresting a considerable number of gay men who were in those bathhouses, Right, which led to uh, a number of gay men losing their jobs, uh, being publicly shamed, and in a couple of cases, committing suicide. Mm -hmm. This took place... 12 years after the supposed decriminalization of homosexuality. And uh, there have been countless other uh, arrests since 1969. And those 1981 bathhouse raids were also part of the spark that led to the formation of Pride Toronto as we know it today. Mm. So Tom saw the fact that Pride was uh, a part of celebrating this supposed decriminalization of homosexuality as a betrayal of what he thinks should be Pride's principles and Pride's reasons for existing. Right. So he submitted a series of freedom of information requests to the Canadian government to obtain as many of the documents he could surrounding Pride's grants, from the government and uh, the conversations that took place
0: around that. So, first of all, how much grant money are we talking about here in total? And then, secondly, once he got those documents, what did he see in them and what does he claim uh, he's revealed about these grants?
1: Well, the grants, there are three grants uh, which total one point eight five. well, which totaled originally $1.85 million. Two from uh, Canadian Heritage, one for $250,000 and one for $600,000, and one from um, Public Safety Canada, which uh, totaled $1 million. Tom received documents from uh, Canadian Heritage. Public Safety declined to provide any documents. Tom says that... uh, All these uh, documents reveal that a a pattern of pride providing misleading information to the government, exploiting uh, indigenous artists as part of obtaining these grants, and falsifying letters of support from uh, community organizations
0: in the indigenous and queer communities. Can you give me some examples specifically of the allegedly false or misleading statements, just so the listeners can try to understand, you know, what kinds of claims were being made?
1: Certainly. Uh, Well, for example, Pride claimed that they had a contract and an ongoing agreement with Indigenous artist Kent Monkman to provide a series of paintings to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the decriminalization of homosexuality. Now, Certainly anyone who knows Kent Monkman's work would understand that he would have no interest in commemorating that event. Mm. And in fact, he didn't and never did sign a contract with Pride about that. And yet Pride continued to claim in reports to the government that uh, arrangement was ongoing. Uh, as well, Pride, when asked uh, by Canadian Heritage to submit letters of support, from community organizations, Pride submitted letters from the 519 Community Centre, which is a queer community centre in the heart of the queer village in Toronto, Mm -hmm. and from the Assembly of First Nations. Uh, And both organizations, and I confirm this by talking to them myself, say that uh, they never sent such letters.
0: And just to be clear, to set us up for the remainder of this conversation, you know I'm using words um, like allegedly in claims as, as we do, but it, it's more than uh, Tom Hooper. You have seen these documents and confirmed that they say what he says they do. Uh,
1: I have seen these documents. Uh, I have talked to most of the uh, organizations and people um, that are referred to in these documents, including the government departments.
0: And how did Pride Toronto respond uh, when this began to come out and and these allegations were made public?
1: Well, Pride responded, and uh, I interviewed the current Executive Director of Pride, Sherwin Modesti, myself, uh, about these issues. And their response largely has been... First of all, let me stress that Pride has not denied any of this. Okay. They are—they have commissioned uh, an independent report from KPMG, which is a worldwide uh, accounting firm, to look into these allegations and to investigate exactly what happened with this grant money. And uh, the ED, Mr. Modesti, says that uh, going forward, Pride's emphasis is going to be on transparency and accountability, uh, but also stresses that uh, he was not there when these grants were applied for and uh, for the life of most of those grants and uh, that neither was the current board.
0: I was going to ask you about that. So this is not the same Pride leadership that would have uh, engaged in these allegedly uh, misleading grants. Do we know either from what anybody on Pride now has said or from looking back, you know, do we have any answer as as to how this happened? Well, the
1: executive director of Pride at the time that these grants were applied for and uh, obtained was Olivia Nuama. I reached out to her and have not heard back from her, so she has not commented on uh what happened in terms of these grants.
0: Why did the leadership at Pride Toronto change? Um, And is it, could it be uh, related to the sorts of things that these documents could reveal?
1: It could be, but uh, again, I have not had the opportunity to speak to Olivia about this, so I can't say one way or the other whether that was a factor in her leaving. Uh, I should say that she left within what I would regard as the normal turnover period for prior leadership. Okay. So it may well just have been she left for uh, her own reasons. And I should say also that none of this had emerged at the time that uh, she did depart the
0: organization. Fair enough. So now Pride uh, has KPMG doing a full review. Uh, What else have they promised and and what might come out of uh, these documents being made public?
1: Well, uh, they have promised to release the full report from KPMG when it becomes available, which should be any day now. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, uh, Extra will be following up on that. As I said, what they have talked about is the importance of restoring trust from the the queer community and the importance of putting in procedures that will ensure that uh, things like progress reports on future grants are also made available to the public so that everyone can see exactly what they're doing with the money that they're receiving. If they follow what they say they're going to do, what we could see from Pride is increased transparency and accountability going forward and it becoming a somewhat less opaque organization.
0: I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. I'm not going to ask you, obviously, to speak for the entire community, but uh, as somebody that does cover queer issues extensively, could you maybe give us a sense of where that feeling of a lack of trust that clearly even Pride Toronto is now feeling comes from? Like, what's happened with Pride over the past decade or so to cause that shift, if anything?
1: Basically, I think what we've seen certainly over the past decade, is a growing split within the community in terms of its view of pride. Pride itself has evolved, certainly over the past decade, towards an event that has moved away from its roots as a protest movement Mm -hmm. and its roots commemorating protest events like uh, Stonewall in 1969, like the bathhouse raids in 1981, as previously mentioned, like the AIDS epidemic that uh, took the lives of so many gay men in the uh, in the 80s, and has evolved more into a celebration with uh, heavy support from corporations and governments, the pride parade which uh occurs on the final sunday of pride has become a huge event it's generally regarded as being the third or fourth largest pride event in the world and brings uh an estimated one to two million people out to celebrate it and so that debate has become a a major thing within the queer community should pride be uh, a a huge celebration or should it return to its uh, to its protest roots this came to i guess you could say it came to a bit of a head when uh, a decision was made to ban police participation yes in the parade following uh, the Black Lives Matter protest in uh, 2016.
0: My next question was going to be about that, actually. So maybe you can summarize where that fight is now, because I gather that this has gone back and forth a lot over the past few years, and a lot of people see it as kind of the fight for the heart of pride.
1: That's right. Um, And this, in fact, does tie in to some extent to this current controversy around the grants. In 2016, during the Pride Parade, Black Lives Matter Toronto blocked off the parade for a while uh, until Pride agreed going forward that uh, uniformed members of the Toronto Police Department would no longer be allowed to participate in the parade because of the tension between police and the queer community uh, and especially between police and trans people and between police and racialized members of that queer community. That uh, that ban was enacted in Toronto, as it's been enacted in a number of major cities across North America. And police did not participate in the Pride Parade in 2017 and 2018. So that ban on peace was in place in January of 2018, when Bruce MacArthur, who was the serial killer who was terrorizing the queer community in Toronto, was arrested. Right. At the time, there were a lot of accusations that Toronto police had done a really poor job of that investigation, um, and that the deaths of gay men, and specifically of racialized gay men were not taken seriously by the police. But uh, later in 2018, before these grants were approved by the government departments, Pride extended an invitation to police to participate in the 2019 parade um, and sent a document out to its members before their 2019 AGM in January explaining that this was a financial decision and that banning the police or unbanning the police, I should say, was a necessity for Pride obtaining funding.
0: I'm sure that went over really well with many people in the community.
1: Well, with many people, it didn't. It did not indeed. And in fact, at that AGM, Pride members voted, although only by two votes, to continue The ban on police participation. And yet, at the same time, pride in obtaining these grants, part of what they were, they had uh, specified to the government that they would do with money was to work with police departments, both on the commemoration of the decriminalization of homosexuality and on ongoing. initiatives to try to improve uh, the relationship between police and queer communities across Canada.
0: Hmm.
1: Part of what has also angered some people within the queer community is the sense that pride was willing to, in some ways, abandon its commitment to the uh, specifically to the black members of the queer community for money Hmm. Um, now, obviously, for in in uh, 2020 and 2021, uh, Pride did not occur in person. Right. So it, this uh, wasn't
0: an issue. Is it planned for in person this year? And are we talking about this yet?
1: It is planned for in person this year uh, in uh, in in June of 2022. And at this point, uh, Sherwin Medasti told me that. The ban on police participation remains in place, and he says, will not be removed unless the members of Pride vote to rescind it.
0: The last thing I want to ask you about in relation to this, and I'm I'm glad you illustrated all the history for us behind uh, these documents and and how they can highlight the fracturing uh, in terms of opinions on Pride. What happens now? Is there a way for these two sides to coexist? Should Pride be one big event that turns into a party? Should it be two separate events, a party and a protest? Like, for as long as I've lived in Toronto, it has always trended more towards a party, and the more I learn about the roots of it, it feels like that doesn't make a lot of sense, and I know there's a lot of people in the community that feel that way. Is there any way to reconcile it?
1: Well, you have you you basically touched on... The, the crux of the matter, um, that is the the big debate going forward. Personally, um, I do not think the two are can be reconciled. I mean, I'm not saying, you, I think you can have parties, of course, throughout Pride. Sure. But I think the emphasis has to be on one or the other. One of the reasons that Pride has become such a big party is because of the money that has rolled in from corporations. Right. Anyone who watches the Pride parade these days sees that much of it is taken up by corporations, uh, banks, uh, all sorts of things, rolling out uh, tractor trailers with uh, you know
0: dancers and so on. Sure. I mean, you're speaking to somebody from an organization that works for Rogers, and we've sponsored many floats in the past as Canada's hugest telecom.
1: Right. And in many ways, that that is a good thing. Um, it it does show an increasing acceptance among uh, corporate Canada of the queer community. Now, to be cynical, much of that acceptance is rooted in the money sure. that queer consumers have. But nonetheless, it does point to a, um, an increasing acceptance within the mainstream of the queer community. But there are many members of the queer community, trans people, for example, black and racialized members of the queer community that do not feel themselves to be fully accepted by the mainstream or indeed by the mainstream queer community. Those concerns Uh, I think, sit uneasily with uh, the idea of Pride being a a major party for a month. And I think that uh, these current events around this grant are going to deepen that gap. They're certainly going to deepen the sense of mistrust that uh, a large part of the community feels about Pride. I should say that... One of the other questions to be resolved is because pride in person did not happen for the past two years, have people realized that uh, perhaps we don't need pride or will people be even more excited to see pride return? Either way, uh, I think that uh, we are moving towards a situation where one side or the other is going to be disappointed, where Pride will either fully commit to basically being a celebration and a party or will return to its roots as a scaled-down Event more focused
0: on activism and protest. It will be fascinating to see uh, which way this goes. And thank you so much for the context around it, Krishna. Uh, You're very welcome.
1: And you're right, it will be quite fascinating.
0: Krishna Rao, writing for Extra. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn talk to us anytime via email the big story podcast all one word at rci.rogers.com a bunch of you have told me that i shouldn't list individual podcast players because you all know apple google stitcher spotify etc but what if you are tired of the mainstream podcast players what if you want to listen to us on podkicker or icatcher or clementine or instacaster media monkey you can find us there as well i'm going to do this until you get really angry with me or Until I run out of podcast players. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. Hi there. I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor,
1: and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now.